Good morning, good morning, good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles. That's Exodus 12. You're not going to flip anywhere until the very end. When I have you go to 1 Corinthians and read the Lord's Supper, but it's going to take us all the way to the end. So turn your Bibles to, to Exodus 12, get comfortable there. It's going to be a long build up right to that beautiful space in which we engage in what God calls us to in the Lord's Supper. So if you're a note taker or you want to know where we're at today, I want today's time together, I want us to slow down, and I want this to be one of those messages and moment that you remember all of your life. I would love for every Sunday to be that, but I'm a realist, and I know that sometimes even I, the one up here talking, can't remember what I said last week. But this moment and this Sunday, I want a light bulb to go off. If it hasn't already in your life concerning the beautiful gift of what we call the Lord's Supper. So let me just ask you a question. Why do we do this? You were raised in the South. You've probably gone to church for many years. No matter your denomination, you've participated or you have seen people engage in the Lord's Supper. So why do we come here and we drink this juice and eat this bread? Why do we do this? Why is it important? Will you write that down? Just write it in your Bible. Write it in Exodus 12. I'm big on writing and highlighting in the Word here. I want to engage it. Right there. Why is the Lord's Supper important? What is its root purpose? What is God achieving in you and I? What is he calling us to in participating in this? And here's a good one. What does it mean to you? What does the Lord's Supper mean to you? Because here's the truth. If I pulled all of you aside from Johanna all the way to Miss Wendy there, if I pulled you aside one-on-one and I said, what does this juice mean to you? Most of you are going to give me some type of Jesus answer. But in the same way, from a surface view, a lot of you would say it means something different. You'd say, Hunter, when I see that juice out on that table, I'm thinking, hey, short message today. Or if you're a member at ECU, you go, long message today, right? Amen. Like, how long am I going to be here? My brother Ryan came in today. He was like two weeks in a row, you know? I was like, brother, we didn't get the job done week one. We're still working, still working. And so what does this mean to you? I'm sure it's something to do with the Lord, but man, like, what does it mean specifically to you? Why is this important? What is the significance? And what is God doing in it? And so look at Exodus 12 and look at 12 through 14. Exodus 12, 12 through 14. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. Now, if you were here with us and you celebrated Easter, this would all make sense. This is not a rerun, but it's all connected. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, 12th plague, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. 
both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see that blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That's where we were last week, but let's keep going. Verse 14, will you highlight it for me? So this day shall be to you a memorial. Will you highlight that? That's where we are. We had the deep-rooted message of the gospel in Easter and the Passover. We participated in the Lord's Supper last week. But where we are this week is verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, with an S. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I thought Easter last week was amazing. I loved every bit of it. I thought it was a win from every angle. I believe the gospel was proclaimed. I believe that it made much of God, little of us. I believe it was a win for our church. Jacob Partridge said it well. I was spending a little time with him. He said, you know, I, I think it's really good when we have a change of like spiritual muscle memory. So as much as I love these four walls, and I do, it's good to get out from them, amen? It's good to be in a space that you might not call your church building, but you still have your church. And it's good to get outside those walls. It's good to see new faces. It's good to have moments where we're just sitting around and the kids are getting ready and the praise team is practicing and we're eating bagels and laughing and golfing. Like, it was just a win last week. But it was also a win for the word. You know, last week I found myself in this space where, I don't know if it's possible, but I found myself faithfully stubborn, if it's such a thing, to where I told myself early on, I'm not moving from Exodus. I'm not moving. I was like paying, playing chicken with the moment. Like, I'm coming. I don't know where we're going to be at, but I'm not leaving Exodus. That's where I'm going to be. So like a month and a half ago, like when I didn't have it all planned out, I was just praying that it fit. And man, when I was studying, guys, I was in this moment where like, I felt like we were worshiping simultaneously with the people in Egypt. Strange. I was just praying, like, I, I hope this message makes sense and it's connected to the, to the moment we're in in Easter. And when you have the Passover and the Lord's Supper and the celebration of Easter, like, I felt like it just all just synced beautifully. It was a win for the word. I felt like those people were still alive just in a different space, different civic center. Because you gotta understand for the people of Exodus, God's people during those times, like that was the Passover. It was an Easter level event. That was their Easter. That was an Easter level event with the same message, God saves, same celebration. There has to be a blood sacrifice, and that is what is required. Same message. 
and it is not of man's ability, it is all of God's grace. Last week in Easter and in Exodus and our church and the moment and celebration and Lord's Supper and Passover, I just saw God's fingerprints over all of it. And I was blessed by it. But faithfully stubborn, I did skip over some passages. I did skip over some verses. I found myself in Exodus at the Civic Center. I knew that we were gonna have a lot of visitors, so I skipped over. You might have noticed, because we committed, we're not moving, right? We're not moving. We're going through every comma, right? And someone came up after me at the service, and they said, hey, we saw you didn't hit every comma, right? And I said, next week, brother, come on back, right? And so being faithfully stubborn, I held the fine print for us. I held the fine print for us. What is the fine print of what God calls us to in this beautiful thing that we see in the Passover and the baton that is passed in what you and I celebrate in the Lord's Supper? Look at verse 14 again. We're gonna read it three times. Look at 14 again. This is what I saved for us in the week after Easter. God says, so this day shall be to you a memorial. Some of your Bibles might say a remembrance. If you wanna know where we're at today, what the highlighting point is, that word is it, a remembrance. It says, so this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all of your generations you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So this morning, we are back at this church. We are here together. We are a smaller and intimate group of people who live life together. And this is what I want you to see, that after salvation, the moment you are saved, God calls us to many things. He calls us to sanctification, which literally means to become more like his son. That the moment you are saved to the moment you die, God is calling us to grow us, to mold us, to equip us, to prune us, to make us more like Jesus. He calls us to that, but he also calls us to worship. He calls us to sing and to, to give, to, to praise. He also calls us to purpose, to work to do, to pour the gifts that he has poured into us. And what we see this morning is he also calls us to remember. And that is what God, just like today, is calling those people in Exodus, he's calling them to a memorial. He says, listen, the reality of who you are from the beginning of time to the end is you and I will forget even the greatest of things that you believe that you never could. You know what Brent read before our music? In Psalms, he said, God, restore us the joy of salvation. Did you catch that? Not that you can lose your salvation, but is it possible that you can lose the joy of having it? Like, is that, how could you forget that? Like, I understand you got a handful of kids. I don't know their birthdays either, Okay. Like at one moment, I think I've been married this long and the next this long, like I, I can barely remember directions on how to get to, like I'll give you that, but how could you forget that you were destined from hell, you've been given 
heaven. How could you forget the joy of that? And the psalmist says it's possible. If there's one thing in life that should be impossible to forget, it is salvation. And you know what the word says? All of us will. That we won't lose it, but we can forget the joy of having it. So what does God do in all of his grace and mercy and love for mankind and his understanding of our reality and sin nature? He gives us a remembrance to bring us back to it. We see this all throughout the scriptures. In Nehemiah, it says, remember. Remember what? What what have I forgotten? Do you know what he says? Remember the Lord, who is great and who is awesome. You, you tell that to my child, and they'll go, hey, there's no, I'm not going to forget that one. You know what the Bible says? Yes, you will. We have to be reminded that God is Lord, and he is great and awesome. In Ecclesiastes, he says, remember, also your creator, when? In the days of your youth, for my young person, pay attention to me. He says, when you are young and you are busy and you are developing and you are growing and you are figuring out who you are in those moments, do not forget that I am God. Because I am God in your life when you are 10 and I am God in your life when you are 100. I am the same God, remember it. Isaiah says, remember I am God and there is no other. In 2 Timothy, remember Jesus Christ the one who rose from the dead. How could the word remember ever be placed in such a great blessing, right? And the reality is, is you and I will forget the greatest gifts that you and I have been given. So God in all of his mercy gives us direction and commands to put in our life to do just that, to remember. What was the Passover? It was a celebration of salvation. It was a rescue worth remembering. Will you write that for me? It was a rescue worth remembering. And here's the truth. The Lord knows that the further that you and I get away from our past and what he has done in it, the more dangerous our future will be. You hear me? The further that we get from our salvation and what God has done and what Jesus has accomplished, like the further we get from that without being reminded, the more dangerous our future will be. This was a rescue worth remembering and the Lord knows it. And he also knows that we need to be reminded. And so the Passover was a set as a yearly reminder of God's saving grace for the people in Egypt. And God gave the fine print, this is what we're gonna teach on today, the fine print instructions to aid these people in not losing the joy of their salvation. He says, I'm gonna tell you how to engage in the Passover, what we will go in, the Lord's Supper, in the celebration of your salvation. I'm gonna give you an aid to make sure you don't lose that joy. Look at 15 through 20. Look at 15 through 20. This is the text that we skipped over last week. This is the fine print. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. 
And on the first day, you shall remove the leaven from your houses. We just highlight that one sentence. So I'm gonna spend a second there. On the first day, you shall remove the leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And on the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be no holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. Now, hang with me and highlight 17. So you shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread. For on this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. So what God is saying here, I want this activity that you're engaging in spiritually to represent and reenact the reality of your salvation. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. And in the first month, on the 14th day of that month, at evening, you shall eat the unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a stranger or a native of the land, highlight 20, we're gonna stop. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all of your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. So this is what God is putting as an aid in these people's lives that I want you to see the similarities in today. And that is first, that God reminds us of the physical salvation that he has blessed us with. Second, that he reminds us of the spiritual salvation that he has saved us from, with. So first he says, remove all the leaven from your houses. And so my kids were talking to me about this as I was reading this with them. And they said, Dad, what in the world is leaven and how do you get rid of it? And so like even I, in my studies, I wanted to make sure that I said this right. I don't cook often. I said, what exactly is this? I want to make sure that I know. And so leaven in most people's minds is much like yeast and it is used in cooking to, to make the dough rise, Right. And so the leaven or the unleavened bread, the, the, the picture of this is twofold. The people of Egypt throughout the generations would see the physical salvation in this act because the people would always tell stories as they gathered together to worship and they would say, they would look at this bread that's flat, that didn't rise and say, God took us so quickly, so swiftly that we didn't even have time enough to see the bread rise. Like we didn't even have time. Like the Lord took us in all of his grace and his mercy. We were in bondage. We were in slavery. We were enchained. And God rescued us physically from that world. And then two, it was a remembrance of the spiritual salvation they experienced. So yeast was a perfect example of what the people saw as sin. An unleavened bread of holiness mostly because how yeast grows and it spreads. It doesn't take much. And that's why in the New Testament, Paul writes, do you not know that even a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And so just a pinch of leaven will make something rise in abundance. And what this picture was for the people who came over in the Passover was this sin that was in our life that God saved us from. So I want you to hang on this thought. This isn't just a yearly celebration. This was a call to holiness. 
This was not just a yearly celebration. It was a call to holiness. Because here's the truth about you and I. To truly focus on God, to truly do this, sin must be removed. And that was the picture of the unleavened bread. How hard is it for you to come here and to celebrate, to engage in the Lord's Supper, to pay attention to his words, to sing his song, to want to be present when you're drowning in sin. Like, how hard is it? Like, some of you guys have mastered smiling at me and not falling asleep while I'm talking. But most of you, at some season in your life, have attended many Bible studies, many sermons, stared at the praise team when you are drowning in distracting sin that makes you blind to growing in God's word. How hard is it? But man, when you're free of it, when you're free of it, when you are still a sinner, but you are living in repentance, your eyes are on the Lord, you are not perfect, but you can see and you can hear clearly, and then you grow. And so the picture and the symbolism of the bread was remove, repent, move all the sin away. Why? So you can worship appropriately. You can feast your eyes on God and the salvation that you have been blessed in and not be blinded by the sin in Exodus. God was not just wanting to remove these people from Egypt. He wanted to remove Egypt from these people. And in the Lord's Supper, in the Exodus, in the Passover, this was a call for the people to never forget their salvation. Because as I said, the truth is, we will forget even the greatest of blessings. And you and I will be saved at one point, we will start living, inviting sin, and then all of a sudden we forget. And maybe we're not engaged in the reminders. And he reminds us of the rescue worth remembering. You know, I'm a perfect example of this. I was studying, this is how it works in your life. I was studying this text this week. And I was in my office. I'm not drowning. I, I'm a sinner. I am not perfect. I am up there with the worst of the worst. Like, I, I, my life is not without flaw, right? But right now in my life, I'm not drowning, okay? So I see the Lord. I hear the Lord. I feel very close to the Lord in his text. And even in that, I became overwhelmed just as I studied this reminder. And so I was reading and I was preparing and I was praying. And as I was reminded of what God did in the people of Exodus, I was overwhelmed by my reality of salvation. And so what I started to think about was, man, when Hunter was lost, I started to think about my slavery and that's what we're called to today. I started thinking about my wife and my kids. and I started to kind of think in my mind, like, what if I didn't have a Christian wife? Like, what if I didn't pour the love of the Lord into my kids? What if I was living for the world every day? What if I wasn't saved and I started thinking about myself and my past and people I love? What if it was different? What if I was still in slavery, right? 
And you know what the Passover and the Lord's Supper was created for? It's for us to dwell in that. To remember that. It says it in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy that I have given you this feast, this festival, this celebration for you to be reminded of your slavery and your chains and to be overwhelmed by how you've been set free. So what does the Lord's Supper mean to you? When you see that little juice and you see that stale bread, what does that signal to you? Does it signal slavery? Does it remind you of your chains? And then does it trigger your salvation? Like when you see that, is that just something that you used to do on the fifth Sunday of every month? And that's why we don't do that here. We don't want it starts in tradition. We want it starts in reality. That we engage in the Lord's Supper because we need to be reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us and accomplished for us daily, weekly, monthly. We need to be reminded why, because what Brent said, we will quickly forget the joy of having it. Think of your marriage, your kids, your freedoms where you live. The reality is for the rich man who continues to obtain, we will become spoiled and ungrateful for what we have and our spiritual life is no different. That is why the Lord says in the Ten Commandments of keeping this day holy, do you know why? Do you know why it's important for you to be here? There's many reasons, but do you know why it's important? Because you and I need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the goodness of Jesus and the grace of God and the mercy of salvation. He says, because if you don't, you'll forget it. That is what the Passover is and that is what the Lord's Supper is. Does Look at 24 through 28. I love these two points that we see in this text. This is also text that we skipped over on Easter. Look at 24 through 28. This is still the fine print, just some beautiful, encouraging text that I want my people to hear, okay? It says, you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your son's Forever. I'm going to talk to my parents here for a second and my kiddos. It says, You shall observe this thing as an ordinance, a memorial, a reminder for your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land. Will you highlight that for me? It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as He had promised that you shall keep this service, right? We're going to talk about that. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean, Dad, by this service? That you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads. This is how they responded. So the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. And then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. I was reading this and studying it and preparing and praying, and there's two things that struck me and blessed me that I want to pour into you. Number one is that when we look at this Passover, the Old Testament Lord's Supper, that God called these people to engage in it in all seasons of life. 
When was the first Passover? The first one. It was when they were in slavery. Like it was in the heart of a plague. It was in slavery. It was in hardship. It was in struggle. And God called them to remember his salvation in it. Then in Numbers, do you know what it says? It says when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, when they were out there drifting and God was doing a mighty work in that, it says that they still engaged in the Lord's Supper, I mean in the Passover, in that journey. And then what does it say here in Exodus? It says when you arrive to the promised land, which has not even happened yet, I'm just promising you, I still call you to do the same. So in struggle and in your journey and then even in your highs, God is saying it is important for you to remember your salvation and my goodness. This is for all of my families and my people in general. You are never too busy nor too tired, rich, sick, happy, or sad to feast your eyes on the goodness of God and be reminded of your salvation. God calls us in all seasons of life to feast our eyes on what the Lord has done in our life. My second point is this is a beautiful picture of family discipleship. Beautiful picture of family discipleship. There's this moment where God is telling them how to observe this. He says, hey, it's not only going to be good for you, it's going to be for the younger version of you. Because you're going to be participating in this and your little ones are going to look at you. What are you doing? Like, why? Has your kids ever asked you? Like, why do you eat that bread and why do you drink that drink? Have you ever been asked? I have. Or maybe my children at the age of three, like, I like grape juice. I want a little, right? That's a question. And he says, at that time, you look at them, you explain to them that this is in remembrance of where we've come from that we were slaves. He says, listen, when you get to the promised lands and you're out of slavery, I want you to live as if you still remember it. You remember and you feast your eyes and your attention. Your message to your kids is what God has accomplished in your life. That this is not of your doing. You didn't sneak out in the middle of the night and run to a better scenario. God saved you. You were lost, you were doomed for hell, you were unworthy, you were incapable, and without the grace of God and what Jesus Christ accomplished, you would not be standing there, and you pour the gospel into those who have questions about what you are doing. This morning is way more beautiful than the people of 2022 give it credit for. This is a reminder of chains and a blessings of a cross. This is family discipleship. Brent made a good point last week as we were talking, and I don't know if I've really thought about it much. He said, you know, for the Lord's Supper, it's a powerful message for those who are engaging in it, but it's also a powerful message for those who aren't. And there's this moment, man, where we are talking about repentance, and the people of Eastview are talking about celebration. I am safe. I have been given grace and mercy. I am a new creation. I am Lord, loved by the creator. And we engage in the Lord's Supper. And then there's the lost man with nothing in his hand. And he is not just reminded of slavery. He is currently living in it. 
And so even for our kids, the Lord's Supper, the Passover, are for believers. We celebrate and we remember the things that we've experienced and that we know to be true. And so it is a reminder to us and a message to those who have not experienced it. Which brings us to today. The Passover celebration pointed us to the peop- what God accomplished in Exodus. Pulling the people from slavery to the promised land. The Lord's Supper points us back to the cross and what Christ accomplished. And so the Lord's Supper calls us to remember in the exact same way. The Lord's Supper, as we engage in it, calls us to be reminded of our slavery, our sin, which is similar. The price that was paid with His Son that hung on a cross and Jesus' love and desire for our lives. And so when your kids, when the lost, when you might even think, why do we do this? The answer is simple, because when we engage in being reminded of what was accomplished for you and I, it stirs our affections for the one who loves us. That's what the Lord's Supper meant to be. It wasn't supposed to be this traditional and starts ingrained, we do this on this time. No, no, no. It was to be a reminder of God's goodness. Because when we are reminded, when you come to the church, when we sing his songs, when we love one another, when we pray, when we read, when we are taught, when we engage in such a celebration, do you know what that does for your soul? It stirs your affections for what the Lord has done in your life. Because if you remove yourself from it, you will forget it. And the Lord knows it. And God says, hey, I'm not angry at you for it. I want to put things in your life to remind you. And for those who are lost, for your kiddos that have questions, it is an opportunity for you to share the gospel with them. So I'm going to read you as I ask my praise team come up. I want you to see the text. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a text that you've read many times, that we have read many times. But as we really have hammered home the Passover and how the Passover had so many similarities with God's salvation and what he did in their lives and what Christ has done in ours, I want you to understand the bigger picture and how we got to what you've engaged in countless times, but I want you to see it through a different lens now. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17. We've read this many times, but I want you to look through the lens of the Passover and then the cross and then where you are today and what the Lord's Supper means to you. It says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, Paul says, since You come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there's divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. 
For there must also be fractions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, you come together in one place. It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. It goes back to what I was saying to you guys. You know what that's saying? That you and I will even distort the reminders. (laughs) That's who we are. We will forget the greatest blessings that have ever been poured upon us and then we will even distort the reminders so we can remember them. So the Lord has blessed us with the church and fellowship and community and communion. And Paul looks at these people who are doing this. They got the juice, they got the bread, they're engaging in it. And he goes, what are you doing? You don't know what the Lord's Supper and the purpose of it is for. So he teaches them. He says, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. And while one is hungry and another is drunk, what are you doing? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Are you to despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? What does Paul say? I do not. For when I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. Now remember, you've read this a million times. He's talking about the last Passover. He's going all the way back to Exodus. He says, and he, when he given thanks, he broke it and said, take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're going from the Passover to the cross. Why do we do this? In the remembrance of Christ. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever drinks, eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So as we engage in the Lord's Supper, and before we sing, I want you to pray I call us to repentance. That whole, that whole illustration and example of the bread and removing the leaven out of the bread, the second part that we always talk about here at Eastview in the Lord's Supper is celebration. And the reality is still the same reality that these people experienced. It's hard to celebrate when we refuse to repent. You cannot enjoy the blessings, the encouragement, the gift, and the celebration of salvation when you do not remove the sin in your life. That is what he's teaching them. Get all of that out. Remove it from your house, your bread, your life, because when you do, then you can engage. And so we're going to celebrate here. But right now, for those who are saved, but you are drowning in sin and your sin has blinded you from celebration. Repent. 
As they sing, come to the altar, pray at your seat, grab the hand. If you are weighted down and pride keeps you standing still, remove it. God, save, remove, restore, forgive. I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate. And the sin is preventing it. If you are lost here this morning and maybe you celebrated Easter with us or maybe this is the first time with us or maybe you've been here for a long time and you are lost. The Jesus that we spoke about is not the Jesus you have celebrated or you've been reminded of and salvation is not something that we spoke of today. God, save me. I have seen your goodness. I have heard your gospel. I am placing my faith and my trust in you. I also want to celebrate. I also want to celebrate. So my praise team here, they're going to sing. I'm going to have a seat, pray for my own life and my own sin that distracts. I want you to pray where you are. Come to the altar, grab a hand, pray where you're at, but pray for forgiveness. Let's bow our heads.